Would you like to be part of the next generation of mindfulness meditation instructors? We invite you to take a unique opportunity to earn your teacher certification with Jack Cornfield, Tara Brock, and some of today's leading mindfulness meditation instructors. To get the training you need to guide others in their journey, visit BeHereNowNetwork.com slash get certified. Welcome to the Krishnadas Pilgrim Heart Out. In this podcast, Krishnadas shares his warm-hearted and down-to-earth path to the divine. If you are interested in supporting Krishnadas's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com/kd. Hello, and thank you for um, sharing this with us. Um, I wanted to know, um, I've been practicing Buddhist meditation for a few years and then, you know, got into <clears throat> kirtan and chanting and, um, of course, it's, it's a deist, at least a, a, ostensibly a deist practice. And, ostensibly. Yeah. And, um, and when I try, try to share this with some, some of my Buddhist friends, they're like, well, that's, you know, they're not into God, you know. Sure. And so it's like, I... I don't have a problem with it because it makes sense to me. It works for me, mm-hmm. but I don't know how to share it with people in a way that are non-deist or non-theist uh, in a way that they understand. Just tell them Buddha's just another avatar. I hate that. <laughs> Which is actually, in, that's what they believe in India. They believe that Buddha's in uh, the next avatar was the next avatar after Krishna. But of course, that's, I'm just joking around. Um, who, why care? I mean, let them let let them leave them alone. You'd be happy. You know, these are all words. Are you? Can you? The the main thing is: Do you get angry? Do you kill flies? Do you kill ants? Do you beat people up? Do you kick the dog? Do you eat meat? What do you do? You know, who cares? Are you a good person? That's what you need to be concerned with. If if your practice is making you a good person. That's good. If their practice is helping make them good people, that's good, right? What we believe is just, you know, it's just temporary. What we experience from within is different, but uh, experientially, my belief is that it's all one. It's not, not even it's all one, all one. That's what my guru used to say to us. All paths lead to the same goal. Experientially, my belief is they have to be the same because there's only one thing going on here. There's one, this third rock from the sun is just ro- rolling around with all these people crawling all over it. It's just one thing happening. So, but people find shit to fight about because that's what people do. So, who cares? All I know is the lamas asked me to sing. They sing, sing that Ram Ram stuff. <laughs> I went to see this really great when you came in here today you heard this chanting it was Lama Girme he's a, an, uh, a chant master in the Kaju tradition and he lives in Paris now and uh, he's 
so great. I love him so much. So I went to see him, and he said, so what do you do? And I said, well, you know, I sing Sri Ram, Jai Ram, Hare Krishna. Oh, so you sing to the masters. I thought, well, that's an interesting way to say it. Yeah. He didn't have a problem with it. So the, the people who really are into it, they don't have a problem with anything. It's the rest of us. You know what I mean? Okay. Be, you know, you do your thing and be kind to them. They're, they're Buddhists. They need help. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Hi. I'm just wondering if you can um, share some insight on choosing mantras. If I had any, I would. Um, Just on, on certain teachers and, and uh, guide leaders I've had in the past have shared to choose a mantra and stick with it. Um, that's one way of looking at it. Yeah, just and as time passes, sometimes other mantras feel right and others don't. And just curious what you have. Sometimes you that. feel like a nut, sometimes you don't. <laughs> Who cares? I, I sing what I like. I don't care what anybody says. When I started singing, there was nobody else doing this, so who was I going to ask? You know? I just do what I like, and y'all are here, so something must be okay. I, you know, you got to follow your heart, which you're doing anyway. If somebody says, do this, and you go, yeah, who are you following, him or you? It's you. That makes sense to you, so you do it. If it stops making sense, you don't do it. You have to listen to your own heart. Nobody knows. Nobody knows you from the inside except you. And that's what we have. To, that's the one thing we have to learn in life is to listen to ourselves, get in touch with that, and find out what's right for us, what works for us. There is something to be said for doing one practice for a period of time. Um, it can go deeper. You can overcome. Usually, you know, we just turn the channel. Okay, we don't like that. We turn the channel. And there's so many channels. So there's something to be said for that. But that's, that might be good for a period of retreat. And you, you, know, you might be able to go overcome certain uh, tendencies to, to flit around and not face certain states of mind that are painful or difficult. So you might be able to go through those if you stay with one particular thing for a period of time. But not for the rest of your life, you know. It's the choices that you make. That's what's important. Is it on? Hi. Hi, it's on. Thank you so much for your, your music and your stories. Mm. In talking about practice and seeing you as a performer, but not knowing about your personal practice, would you mind sharing something with us about your personal practice? This is it. This what, is it. what you see is what you get. You know, this is, there's no secret nothing going on here. This is it. Really. I mean, uh, I wish. That's all I can say. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Hi. Thank you for being here. Um, my question is, do you, whenever they told you to sing, did they tell you how to sing, or did you just sing from your heart? And I sang from whatever part of me that happened to be available. <laughs> <laughs> That's your answer. <laughs> Which is what I still do, to tell you the truth. 
what else are you going to do, right? You know, it, that, it is what it is every moment of the day, so you just start from where you are. And that's, that's the, the other thing, you know, really. We start from where we are. We are where we are. You start, you just, you, what you do is you enter, you allow this uh, practice to enter into your life, and it starts to transform you from the inside out. Uh, you don't, it's like you don't have to join the club first. You know, this, you do the practice and you recognize you've always been in the club. There's a big difference. So, I, a lot of people have, have problem with sitting or, or doing practice because you're trying to have some particular, nothing's happening. You know, you're doing your thing and you're still the same jerk you were 10 minutes ago. You know, what's wrong here? You know. So we get hard on ourselves and then we, you know, we, or we change mantras or we, we sit differently or we stand differently or we sing. We do something, you know. But it's the same shmegegi in there doing the same stuff, you know. So it doesn't matter what you do. Just you add a practice to your life and it starts to change you from the inside. And what happens is you wind up spending less time in these heavier negative states of mind. This is one of the things that happens over time. It's not something that you're going to notice because the one who noticed was that heavy negative son of a bitch. And that's the one who's not there to notice. So you just go through your day and your week not going into such darkness quite so often and so deeply. It's not, you can't really stand aside from it and do a trip about it because that's part of you is just not functioning anymore. It's gone or it's going. So it's a transforming process, you know. It's, um, and once again, you start from where you are and you just put the time in. That's the biggest thing. Don't have so many expectations or at least be aware of the fact that you're sitting down and you're going to sit here for half an hour and you know the universe will be different in 31 minutes. It's probably not going to happen, you know. But that's okay. But it's the effort to remember, to be present, to keep the mantra going, pay some attention to it. That's, that's the difference. That's what nobody does. That's what they don't teach us in the world growing up. They don't teach us to pay attention. You know, they don't... The value of that, of being here. So... Cultivating that ability and the habit of trying to remember, you know, what, that we're actually here doing something is a big thing. Very big thing. Very big thing. And Krishna says in the Gita, every little bit of effort that you make that goes against the flow, the outward flow of the uh, awareness through the senses in the mind, you know, out into the world, every little bit of effort that you make to come against that is a really big thing. A big, important, life-changing thing. That being said, I still feel like the same schmuck I've always been. I don't know. I've been doing this for 40 years. I don't think anything happened. But you know what? I don't care. I just don't care. I'm going to keep doing it anyway. Ah. So... There you go. Hi there. Hi. Um, I knew today I wanted to uh, speak with you, but I knew I didn't really, I wasn't going to have really any questions that I didn't 
already know the answers to, but I just wanted to... Could you give me the answers, maybe? Yeah, no, it's not even a question. Actually, someone had uh, mentioned uh, something about uh, Buddhism, and actually, I just wanted to share a joke. (laughs) (laughs) Why didn't the Buddhist, or why didn't the Buddha vacuum under the couch? Why didn't the Buddha vacuum under the couch? I don't know. Because he had no attachments. Oh. (laughs) Okay. You can stay. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the first things Maharaji, when I... First time I met Maharaji physically, first, one of the first things he asked us, have you studied Buddhism? That was the first thing he said. Because, of course, we had, uh, I had sat Zazen in San Francisco a few times um, before going to India. And if it wasn't for him, I, 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 in Buddh- I used to read, I remember uh, in high school reading this book about Buddhism, and it said, the Buddha said that your enlightenment is up to you. And at that point in my life, I thought, Fucking A. <laughs> yes, that's right. My mother can go, except to me. <laughs> you know, it was a big thing. You know, I was like, yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, where were we? Um. Could you speak to devotion? What does the heart of devotion mean to you? It's just falling in love. You know, because we're so embodied and so identified with our bodies and our emotions, we think love is between two things. You know, you push my button, I push your button. That's love. You know, but... I remember once I was very much in love with somebody and I was telling my Indian father, Mr. Tuaria, he was my best friend in the world. I tell him everything, you know. So I finished telling him how much in love I was and he said, my boy. He said, love, love is what lasts 24 hours a day. You know? I really pissed me off. I didn't talk to him for weeks after that because... I wanted to be, you know, what do you mean? You were telling me what? You know, I love this girl. Right? I love this woman. That's devotion is when that love, when it's not attached to an object necessarily or another person or another thing. It's almost like being in the love with the love of the love. And it, it's more like entering into a space or, or um, recognizing the space you're in, which is full of this sweetness. But it's not given to you by anybody. You don't fall in it. You don't fall out of it. You don't need anyone else to kind of look at you a certain way or touch you a certain way to access it. It's your true nature. You know, it's what's in there already. But we're so outwardly directed, you know. 
So devotion is, is really recognizing who you, your true being, you know, what, what's in there. Now, you might use a, a method, and all methods, almost all methods, are, are dualistic in a way. You know, it's me and the object of devotion. But ultimately, even that object of devotion melts into you, into your being, which is not who you think you are, but you are. Well, if you want to say, in Hinduism, you'd say your soul, or your atma, or your, you know. But, you, but the tantra aspect of it is that you fall in love with a guru, or, or a deity, so to speak, or a, a, a teacher, and then you fall, you fall into that, you have a feeling, but you attach it to that person. You think it's coming from them. Or you think it's because of them. But it isn't. It's actually who you are. So you get attached to that person, which is what happened with me and Maharaji. He wasn't attached to me. Because he knows he's the whole universe. Well, why would he be attached to me? But I was attached to him. So when he left the body, what was I going to do? You know? Where would I find that again? I, I never thought I would find it again. But the longing to find it was so strong that it forced me to look inside of myself, which is where it is, which is where it always is and always was and always will be, so to speak, inside of myself. In other words, not coming from somebody else, not dependent on pleasing somebody else or bowing to somebody else or pretending to surrender to somebody else. That's all ego bullshit. That's just romance, which is fun. But you know how it ends. Thank you. Don't thank me. So hold on one second, one second. Just a, so when we sing, we sing, we pay attention to the sound of what we're singing, right? And when we notice we're not paying attention, we just keep coming back, coming back, coming back, coming back. And gradually we get more used to just not being away. And we get more comfortable. We, it's a feeling that we become aware of, a sense of almost like being at home. And you start to relax in a certain kind of way. And a lot of things start to happen from within. And... Uh, one thing that happens is that uh, people aren't so scary after a while. They're just like part of this, inside of this, with you. And the, your walls start to come down. And you start to be sitting in a, in a wide, much more open, relaxed space, which seems to be full of a kind of love. But it's not the kind of love we're used to. So it takes a little getting used to it. It's not easy to, uh, to notice it for a long time, actually, because it goes by so fast, we're too busy, which is why practice has to be done for a period of time, for a long period of time, until you get comfortable seeing and feeling in a new way, beyond the ordinary means of cognition, you know from within and that's devotion
The external stuff is just a show. You know? It's good. It's a method. It's part of a method. But, and listen, I walked around India wearing a red dress, stepping in cow poop with all kinds of shit, you know, with holy ashes on my head, like for years, like, you know. So I can't criticize anybody for being stupid because nobody was stupider than me. But, you know, that's just a show. That's just you wanting to be something other than who you already are. It's a very external show of devotion. It's not really devotion. It's just a show. Real devotion is being who you are. And then seeing it everywhere. Finding that love everywhere, all the time. Which is where it is. So you can use all these practices to help you do that. But the practice itself will keep freeing you and opening you up into deeper and deeper awarenesses of what, you, what it really is. Which is why they call it practice. Because it, it works on another level than thinking, intellectual understanding. So that's how you find out what devotion is. And, uh, you know, uh, one of my teachers, uh, Sokni Rinpoche, a Tibetan Lama, he asked me to come to one of his retreats and sing. He was going to do a retreat where he spoke about and taught about devotion. And in the Tibetan tradition, that's not usually taught as a separate thing. But in that tradition, if I'm not mistaken, don't correct me now in front of everybody, please. But the first step in that tradition is to merge your heart and mind with the heart and mind of the teacher, of the Lama, of the guru. That's the first step. You don't get the so-called higher teachings until you've established this connection because it's from that connection that you could call it a heart connection, but it's not an emotional connection, that you have the, the sense of direction that you're going to go in. And that's devotion. And he pointed out to the, his students that if you have self-hatred and self-loathing, how will you ever love another person? How will you even love your teacher when you don't love yourself? Your teacher is someone who knows who they are, and that person lives within you as your true being. And if you don't love yourself, how will you ever get access to that place in you? Your teacher is not outside of you. So he was saying you can't even develop love for humanity or the whole universe until you start to overcome some of the psychological Issues that, as Westerners, we, we hang on to so dearly. So that's devotion. Many, many years ago at Omega, I was walking up the pathway, and I looked at this man before me, and I said, you are the most beautiful man I have ever seen. And he responded by saying, with a big smile, mirrors are really wonderful, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> And that same man in a, on a CD, I have the CD to, to prove it, said that the practice inevitably yields its highest manifestations of love. And I wonder if you could share a little bit more about that for us today, the inevitability of the practice. You ever see those Quaker Oats commercials when you were kids? Shot out of a cannon? That's us. We're all been shot out of the cannon, and we're, sooner or later we're going to hit the ground. That's inevitable. 
You know, it's just inevitable. We're, this sense of longing we have to find something, to, to, you know, to get more deeply into ourselves or find something, find that real love that won't go away, that will last. You know, that, that longing is what carries us. That's actually how, how human beings experience being pulled from within is this longing, you know. You know that Rumi poem, Love Dogs? You know? Do you? Who doesn't? Shit. Okay, I'll fuck it up for you. <clears throat> One night a man was crying out, Allah, Allah, and his voice grew sweet with praising. Right? Then a cynic walks by and said, why are, you, why are you calling out? Have you ever got an answer back? And the guy thought about it and he said, No. And he stopped praising. And he fell asleep and he, into a confused dream. And in the dream, the guide of souls came to him and he said, you know, why did you stop calling out? He said, I never got an answer. He said, the calling out is the answer. He said, you hear that dog whining, moaning, calling out for its master? That's the connection. He says, there are love dogs no one knows the names of. Give your life to be one of them. The calling out is the connection, but we're too busy to really honor it. You know, we're too busy. We keep thinking it should be something else. So it goes by, it's too subtle because our minds are not subtle. So through these practices, we recognize what's already here. We're already connected. We're already here. We just don't know how to look. And we don't remember to look. But the longing we have, this calling out, is the connection. We're already connected. Can you hear me? Mm -hmm. There we are. I can. Good. Um, With respect to practically everything you just said, I wonder if you could just say something about the idea of the revealed names. Well, I don't know. What they say, these, what we've been singing, they call revealed names. In other words, they're slightly different from Frank and Joe. That's all. And what it means is that some being uh, brought this name, these, these names back into this world as a way of finding what we're looking for. This being had found that, and they brought this method back for us, that's all. And... These names come from within us. They're not from the outside. They come from within. So nobody made these names up. It's like in Texas, you know, you get a truck. You name it Bob. This is different. These are names. No human being made these names up. A human being may may have voiced this in this world, but they were bringing that, that deep awareness into this world for us to follow it back into ourselves. That's what I think that's what it would be about. So I, you know, I do this for a reason, actually, this, these questions and talking. And I travel all around the world, and I do this in many different countries, different languages, different cultures. And I find that everybody has the same questions. And uh, it breaks down some of the isolation that we feel when we realize we're kind of all in this together 
Everybody kind of has the same issues. And uh, it can't be that bad, you know. So, and there, there is a way to deal with all this stuff. That's the one thing that's kind of important to, to recognize that whatever it is, it can be dealt with. No matter how much it hurts, there is a way to bring it into the light and to, and to uh, free ourselves from the bondage that we feel from a lot of the, our experiences in life, the betrayals, the hurts, the abuses, and all that stuff. We all share them. That's what makes us human. Mm-hmm.